Mr. Speaker, the disastrous military events which have happened during the past fortnight have not come to me with any sense of surprise. Indeed, I indicated a fortnight ago, as clearly as I could to the House, that the worst possibilities were open. And I made it perfectly clear that whatever happened in France would make no difference to the resolve of Britain and the British Empire to fight on, if necessary for years, if necessary alone. Welcome to Percolating Perspective, the podcast that celebrates and embraces American culture and the Western way of life. I'm your host, Gordon Michael Porter. Please like, subscribe, and leave a five-star review on your podcast app of choice. Thanks so much for joining us today. We have got an exciting show. As you may have guessed by this point, today we are going to talk about Winston Churchill. In honor of Churchill, we're reviewing a cup of Earl Grey tea by Bigelow Tea Company out of Fairfield, Connecticut. And I gotta tell you, so I'm actually drinking out of my, it's my British mug that my dear friend Carl Hunter bought for me while he was over in Britain a couple years ago, Great Britain. And the tea is actually, so just full disclosure here, I. I never drink tea. So that tells you how much I love Churchill. But, you know, here, let's just. I gotta tell you, that's really good. It's actually, so I actually read the pack and it's just black tea with some sort of essential oil in it. And I can't remember, I think it was uh, bergamot. I think it was bergamot. It was good. Really good tea. It really, it really makes you feel like, I don't know, you're British for a day or something. I mean, as terrible as that sounds, um, man, that is a, that's a really good cup of tea. I want to take another sip here. All right. So when you get a time, get time, check out Bigelow Tea Company out of Fairfield, Connecticut. All right. Now, let's get into what we came here for, Winston Churchill. Now, Churchill is one of my biggest heroes. I think the list goes uh, Washington, George Washington, Winston Churchill, and Jimmy Stewart. So, he's in my top three. Only second to, in my opinion, absolutely the greatest moral mortal man to walk the earth since the close of the book of Revelation. So Churchill is only second to that, in my opinion. I hate that we have only a certain amount of time for these podcasts because really and truthfully, I could talk about Churchill all day long. There, his life encapsulated so much. He was involved in so much world history, really, and more specifically, Great Britain's history and British history. He is, he is a pivotal figure of Great Britain, uh, Great Britain's history. So please don't take the brevity of a 20-minute podcast to say that, wor- that Churchill is not worth more than that. Churchill, as I just said a few minutes ago, is one of my biggest heroes, and we will absolutely be talking about him on future episodes. 
Churchill was actually half American. His mother, Jenny Jerome, was born in Brooklyn. She married Lord Randolph Churchill, with whom she gave birth to Winston Leonard Spencer Churchill in 1874. If you've ever seen a picture of Churchill or maybe have seen him portrayed in a movie, you've almost certainly seen him with a cigar in his hand or his mouth. For what it's worth, he smoked over 10 cigars per day on average and lived to be 90. So, not too shabby. Most believe this habit developed while he was in Cuba fighting along the Spanish against the Cuban independence fighters in 1895. While at first glance this may seem bad, it is worth noting that the Cuban independence movement embraced a radical communist dictatorship for government very shortly after winning their independence. Churchill became very interested in politics and actually served in British Parliament from 1900 to 1964, with exception to a brief two-year hiatus in the 1920s. Of course, we all know Churchill eventually became Prime Minister in 1940 as a result of the sitting Prime Minister, Neville Chamberlain's declining health and very pacifist, uh, pacifist stance on the war. Chamberlain's intention was to broker a peace deal between Great Britain and Hitler. And if we know anything about Hitler, it's that he was super trustworthy and would have never considered ignoring the potential agreement and occupying Great Britain anyway. Churchill had no intention of compromise, negotiation, or surrender with Hitler and what he would call his Nazi regime. At the beginning of this episode, you heard a brief bit of an an address Churchill gave to Parliament on June 18 of 1940, just two short weeks after the occupation and fall of France. To put the situation in perspective, the Nazis had pushed the British forces in France all the way to the shores uh, of the English Channel at at Dunkirk uh, in France. The shores of Dunkirk by water are only 25 miles from the shores of Great Britain. The British had already lost thousands of troops, dozens of fortifications in France and England, hundreds of aircraft and uh, ships by this point. Had the persistent and relentless Nazi forces crossed the English Channel, Churchill knew that most certainly there would be blood and bodies in the streets of Great Britain, but far worse, as he put it, would be the destruction and the end of Christian civilization as we know it. I personally believe every man is born for a purpose, and perhaps for a moment in time. Without doubt, Churchill was born for this moment. With threats from Hitler mounting, European nations that had survived for centuries before falling seemingly by the day, and people closest to Churchill and Parliament losing faith in his attitude of non-surrender, Churchill faces the most ominous situation of his life. He steps up before Parliament and delivers the address we now know as their finest hour, a fitting name to say the least. With this speech, Churchill personifies exactly what it means to be a man of resolve. No doubt he's scared, no doubt he's in a state of grave concern for his nation. But pushing through that fear, Churchill says to Great Britain, with Hitler surely listening, We will never give in, we will never surrender. We shall fight on the beaches, we shall fight in the fields, we shall fight on the landing grounds, if necessary for years, if necessary alone. When a force of fiercest evil came seeking to destroy Churchill, not only encouraged the British people, 
he more than likely sent a chill through Hitler to his very core. What made Churchill great was not ambition or tenacity in this case, even though those were certainly attributes he possessed. What made him great was his ability to swallow fear and persevere with courage, even with insurmountable odds. Churchill knew that nothing would be greater, be a greater injustice than for Christian civilization to surrender in the face of tyranny. Churchill had made up his mind, as had the citizens of Great Britain, that Hitler would have to kill every man, woman, and child on the British Isle if he wanted to take their home. As a result of Churchill's resolve, and specifically this speech, I am making a change in our vision and mission statement here at Percolating Perspective. Our stated goal, as mentioned at the beginning of each episode, has been to pers- uh, preserve and revitalize the Western way of life. While this still is true for the podcast, I don't believe it recognizes what's at stake in the modern world and 21st century attempt at global fascism we now face. Should the West ever give itself to the idolatry and covetousness of a socialist communist system of government, I can't defend that just because it happened in the West. To borrow from Churchill, this podcast, but more specifically me, Gordon Porter, pledged to America and all who may hear this, we will fight on the beaches. We will fight in the fields and the landing grounds to protect and defend Christian civilization, if necessary for years, if necessary alone. Upon it depends our American, Christian, and Western lives and the continuity of our institutions. America, I love you. Great Britain, the spark of what the world knows as liberty and freedom, came from within your shores. Most surely, without your resolve, the world would be a much worse place. Please don't ever forget who you are and what made you great to begin with. Until next week, God bless America, and God bless Christian civilization. Mr. Speaker, the disastrous military events which have happened during the past fortnight have not come to me with any sense of surprise. Indeed, I indicated a fortnight ago, as clearly as I could to the House, that the worst possibilities were open. And I made it perfectly clear that whatever happened in France would make no difference to the resolve of Britain and the British Empire to fight on if necessary for years, if necessary alone. I have thought it right upon this occasion to give the House and the country some indication of the solid practical ground upon which we base our inflexible resolve to continue the war. There are a good many people who say, never mind, win or lose, sink or swim, better die than submit to tyranny, and such a tyranny. And I do not dissociate myself from them. But I can assure them that our professional advisers of the three services unitedly advise that we should carry on the war and that there are good and reasonable hopes of final victory. We have fully informed and consulted all the self-governing dominions. These great communities, far beyond the oceans, who have been built up on our laws and on our civilization 
and you are absolutely free to choose their course, but are absolutely devoted to the ancient motherland, and who feel themselves inspired by the same emotions which lead me to stake our all upon duty and honor. We do not yet know what will happen in France, or whether the French resistance will be prolonged, both in France and in the French Empire overseas. The French government will be throwing away great opportunities and casting adrift their future if they do not continue the war in accordance with their treaty obligations from which we have not felt able to release them. The House will have read the historic declaration in which it is desire of many Frenchmen and of our own hearts we have proclaimed our willingness at the darkest hour in French history to conclude a union of common citizenship in this struggle. However matters may go in France, or with the French government, or other French governments, we in this island and in the British Empire will never lose our sense of comradeship with the French people. If we are now called upon to endure what they have been suffering, we shall emulate their courage. And if final victory rewards our toils, they shall share the gains. I, and freedom, shall be restored to all. We abate nothing of our just demands. Not one jot or tittle do we recede. Czechs, Poles, Norwegians, Dutch, Belgians have joined their causes to our own. All these shall be restored. What General Vagon calls the Battle of France is over. I expect that the Battle of Britain is about to begin. Upon this battle depends the survival of Christian civilization. Upon it depends our own British life and the long continuity of our institutions and our empire. The whole fury and might of the enemy must very soon be turned on us. Hitler knows that he will have to break us in this island or lose the war. If we can stand up to him, all Europe may be free and the life of the world may move forward into broad, sunlit uplands. But if we fail, then the whole world, including the United States, including all that we have known and cared for, will sink into the abyss of a new dark age made more sinister and perhaps more protracted by the lights of perverted science. Let us therefore brace ourselves to our duties and so bear ourselves that if the British Empire and its Commonwealth last for a thousand years, men will still say, this was their finest hour.